welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a composer, professor, Grammy Award-winning pianist from Calgary, Canada, Chris Davis. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today, we have Chris Davis with us. Ma'am, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, you're living the dream right now. I make fun of it all the time, but you're on the cover of Downbeat. And I say you're not a jazz artist unless you've been in Downbeat. And you're on the cover. How did that feel on top of winning the critics poll? I think it was three years ago, two years ago. Yeah, I mean, it feels great, you know, all these things that happen. That, oh, sorry. <laughs> Did you hear that beep? Yeah, it's okay. Go. It's all right. Um, yeah, all these things that, you know, happen and support your work. It's just, it's another um, stepping stool to continue to do more good work. So I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity and I just hope to keep making good music. Okay. Another politically correct answer, people. I love it. But, <laughs> but you're being modest. You're one of the first free women to win a Grammy for instrumental jazz album. Does it not make you go yay too or no? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, we, we, we definitely partied. We were very happy to win. I got a letter from the Prime Minister of Canada, which was very cool, congratulating me, um, which is where I'm from. And... Uh, yeah, I'm just, you know, of course, thrilled. Um, it feels amazing. Okay. So may I ask how you even got that gig? Um, which one? The, uh, the new standards. Because that's oh. what you got it for, if I'm correct, right? Right, exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's an album. Um, the leader of that group and that album is Terry Lynn Carrington, um, who's a wonderful drummer, composer, um, activist, an educator um, and we started working together in 2019 I think it was um, she asked me to do a concert with her and then uh, we started to play together more and more and um, then shortly after she asked me to join the um, to join Berkeley which is where she teaches and she started this institute at Berkeley called the Institute of Jazz and Gender Justice and so I started teaching at Berkeley um, as part of her institute. And we do all sorts of work, work towards gender equity. And something that we released last year was a book called The New Standards, yes. uh, which features, features compositions by 101 women composers. And so the recording, The New Standards, uh, features 10 of those pieces. And that's sort of how <laughs> this all came together um, okay. over many years. Now, I did not know you were a professor they are also in that same department. Now, Miss Carrollton was a guest here before, and I didn't get to ask her, but could you actually explain to me what that is, the Department of Jazz and Gender Justice? Yeah, sure. Okay. So within Berkeley, Berkeley is a huge school. There's thousands and thousands of students, um, and it can be hard to find your community within Berkeley. Um, and so there are all these institutes within Berkeley like that create these micro-communities. Um, and help students find like-minded uh, others, like-minded students, and um, around certain topics. Like it might be bluegrass, or it might be 
more activist related things. Um, and so Terry founded this institute to focus on students that were interested in incorporating gender equity and diversity into um, their practice as artists and musicians. Um, and so we support and foster that uh, both within the institute and also outside of the institute with these sorts of initiatives like the New Standards book. And within Berkeley and within the institute, we try to, um, like for example, we have seven or eight ensembles now of different teachers and we try to populate the ensembles so that we have gender balance um, in each group. So, you know, in jazz, it's been predominantly male dominated. That is true. Um, I agree. And so, or maybe there's one woman in the group. And so this is sort of addressing that issue of like, let's create a situation where we, we feel gender balance for our students and, and for our teachers. And, um, Hopefully that experience, the students will then take that and, uh, you know, be conscious of, of, of um, gender equity as they move forward in their okay. careers. So a question on that. And by the way, I do love my women in jazz. I always say people like you. <laughs> no, seriously, I do admit that historically a lot of them were left out. There were studies and books out of women that had to dress up as men to even get on the stage to even perform in back then. So that is 100 percent true. But I'm just curious how is that going to help move the music forward by pushing, you know, diversity in these jazz colleges? Well, it's making people aware of the situation. So like in, you know, if you're working for a, a company, there's usually an HR department that's, you know, at hiring practices around diversity and equity, um, where that's being addressed in some way. And in jazz, because there's no HR department in jazz, <laughs> there was but we all decide you know who's going to be in our groups how our projects are going to come together um, and a lot of time diversity has not been the forefront in the forefront of artists minds um, when they're putting projects together so that's sort of what we're addressing is like to be conscious of it so that when they do go out when the students go out and start their projects and start you know working in all these different facets of the music that diversity and equity will be part of their practice um, and at the forefront of their minds as they put these things together. Okay, must me being biased here. I honestly believe you just grab the best people you could get and play with them. So you really think even at this day and age, there's a big problem with that? Well, I mean, what is best? <laughs> so, so the thing is, like, okay, if that's fair. When you say <laughs> When you say best, you know, there's always going to be implicit bias in that where, where okay, like, okay. you're like, okay, the best people are all my friends that look like me and are the same gender as me and understand the same jokes as me and I feel comfortable with them. <laughs> so, you know, that's sort of what we're addressing is, is like, you know, how is, how is the music going to move forward? How are we going to change things? We have to be aware of these implicit biases and be open to the idea of working with people that don't look like us, that don't have the same experiences as us as the leader, and hopefully embrace that and roll with it. Okay. Now, how has the program been recepted? <laughs> Yay, nay. It's, the program is amazing. Okay. It's amazing. It's grown from, you know, started with 20 students. It's now up to 70 students. and. We, we have to, 
you know, we, we do auditions within Berkeley. Um, you have to have been at Berkeley for one semester before you can audition. And it's a highly coveted um, institute and program. And, um, you know, there's lots of opportunities for our students to perform and different festivals and things that are happening around the mission of the institute. So it's, um, yeah, it's really thriving. That's good. No, the fact that it's even growing and it's jazz related, it's impressive to me. <laughs> well, yeah. I appreciate your question. These are these are great questions. You know, I mean, when people are actually doing stuff to expand jazz, I actually like it. Okay, because my whole theory on this thing is that it's a dying field. <laughs> it's getting smaller, so anyone that's willing to come and help expand the art, I'm for. Okay. Well, I mean, that might be partially why you're saying that you feel it's dying is that it hasn't been inclusive and so if it's not inclusive it's not representative of the people that are making it and the people that want to listen to it and be part of it so i think that you know that is we start to (laughs) that is fair i actually think a lot of jazz artists are out of touch Mm -hmm. i 100 percent would agree with you on that so could you at least tell me how you think this will at least expand at least i would like to see more mainstream jazz artists like people actually on the billboard charts not on jazz week charts well i mean on the mainstream of of what though i mean jazz is not a mainstream music it never has been well there are people who got <laughs> hits up yeah, you're right you're right you're right <laughs> she is 100 percent right people for a very short <laughs> bursts of time we had some people that got on the charts but i honestly would like to see continuous people in and out of the charts even if they only had one album or one single that made it on there yeah i mean there's there's elements of it you know like samara joy you know one like best new artist like not just in jazz but no i agree so we we you know we see these things but it's always few and far between i think the thing that's really hard especially about jazz right now is jazz is a process oriented music so when you go to a concert to see jazz you're you're there because you're you want to be part of the process of discovery as the artists are making it just as the artists are discovering and sharing that with the audience and so there's this exchange there's no other music that really does that you know where you go out as an artist and be like i'm gonna i don't know what i'm gonna play today like i don't even know the songs i'm gonna play i'm just gonna go out and play and see what happens and feel what the audience the energy of the audiences and the people that i'm playing with and discover it on stage. There's no other music that does that. So, you know, I'm, I'm a, <laughs> okay. I'm a fighter for it. I'm you not know, saying I, you're not. I believe, I believe there's a place for it, and it's um, especially now as we're, we're right, we're becoming more isolated through social media. We're and our totally computers. isolated. We are not part of social media at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this, you know, I. This is my dream. Is like music and jazz could be the remedy to that. You know, to feel to create community. I mean, jazz has communities, but they're very stuck up. <laughs> the smog in the room sometimes just makes me go. Uh. And I mean, I love your album. It was recorded at one of my favorite places in New York. The Village Vanguard, but there are times I've been in the Vanguard where you just smell it or feel it once you step in and you go down those stairs. <laughs> well, I don't know. I My experience with the jazz audiences, it also depends on what kind of jazz you're talking about. 
um, mm -hmm. because there is the more mainstream jazz. There's like the the kind of jazz where you're going to be entertained and you want to be you want to experience something that you that you know and you feel familiar is is comfortable. Like certain things in jazz, like you know, hearing a blues or hearing time played in a certain way. But then there are also there are all I mean, there are lots of different audiences, but I'm also part of a community of the improvised music scene where it's more about that thing I was saying about pro this process-oriented experience of discovering something in the moment and sharing that with the audience. And so all of these guardrails of jazz is this and jazz isn't that, that's not, that, that's kind of gone. <laughs> and so that's why I ended up playing more improvised music was because I felt like those limitations were removed and I could just play and explore and the audiences that were there to, to, to experience it were receptive. Doesn't mean that it was always great, but there was this sort of open heartedness that really was refreshing. Okay. Uh, your opening track on the album, Alice in the Congo, my favorite one. Was that totally improv or was that like you guys had a Lisa lead sheet? What? Tell me about that one. That's um, a, an arrangement I did of a Ronald Shannon Jackson piece called Alice in the Congo. Um, Ronald Shannon Jackson is a, a wonderful drummer from um, Texas, and he played with um, lots of people. But my favorite album is um, the Ordet Coleman record, Dancing in Your Head. And um, I work with a producer who produced some of Ronald Shannon Jackson's music. And um, this group he had, the Decoding Society, put out some really cool records. And this particular tune, Alice in the Congo, is from an album called Man Dance. Um, so there's this element of, there's this like repetitive ostinato that's happening. And then the guitars are like floating, or the, the horns, I'm sorry, are floating this sort of melody over top of this grooving repetitive ostinato. Um, and then he's got two guitars and, you know, it's just like a, <laughs> it's, it's um yeah, it's a cool tune. Yeah, so I, mean, I thought I was sold was after great. that first song. I'm not even gonna lie to you. So yes, you had me listen to the whole thing after that. Yes, I felt okay. it. And like I said, I make fun of the Vanguard. Still one of my favorite places, and some of the best concerts I've ever been to were there. So I liked it. And great. your engineer, no, your engineer even got the vibes or the acoustics of the hall really well. I believe. Yeah, he did. He he had a whole microphone setup that he designed for that space, and we we spent like three maybe three months mixing it. We really spent a lot of time. But he's a master. I mean, he recorded everybody. You know, Bad Brains, Whitney Houston, Ornette, <laughs> go down the list. He's he's a master. So I was, I was very lucky to have him there. What made you actually do a live album, though? Um, well, I've never done a live album before. And the first record I made with this group was called Diatom Ribbons, and it came out in 2019 and um, featured most of the people from this new album, um, minus Julian Lodge, but we had all sorts of guest artists. And the idea with the project was that we would go into the studio, we'd learn the song in like 10 minutes, and then we recorded it. So when you hear that album, you're hearing these just these moments of first meetings and discovery. This, this new album is totally different where we're playing the same songs with the same band every night, night after night, and then recording the last two. So we have a lot more time to dig into the music and explore and see what the direction might be. Like that tune, 
Alice in the Congo, mm-hmm. the recording on, of that, uh, the original that Ronald Shannon Jackson made is way faster. And I tried to, like, I, I was counting it off for the first three nights at that tempo and it would kind of slow down. And I thought like, Oh wow, maybe like for this group, it's just more grooving if it's slower, you know? And so we, we settled in on that. Um, you can't do that when you're just having those first meetings and you're, you know, just trying to achieve the vision. So there's something to be said for that discovery with your bandmates um, as you go through the process of playing it every day. I mean, that is well said. Something I always tell people, like they over romanticize recording sessions. Like they really think like you're practicing for a month. You have the sheet music. You guys are in a isolated place and you're comfortable record. Nah. Like I said, people, you have 10 minutes, you look at the sheet, you go over who's going to do that, and you record. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite tracks of all time, Red Clay. That's my best. I say, that's a great tune. That's a great too, but I swear they took one take. That was the first take, and they're like, eh, whatever, this is good enough. <laughs> well, you know, I'm reading the Sonny Rollins book right now, and it's exactly the same. Like, they just go in, they played one tune, they did one take, and then they were out of the studio. So it's it is part of jazz, but there's also that beauty of like, if you get those rare moments now where you can go on the road and play the music night after night and find some new things and it's different every time. But that's what made this even better. And you said you had like four or five nights to actually get it right before you actually recorded it. Shows. Cool. Thank you. So other thing now, because like I say, women in jazz, great. You being like the show person of it right now, because Dude, you play with like all the top females right now. I give you that. <laughs> so you play with Terry. <laughs> you played with Belinda Younger. You played with Linda Mary uh, Ohan, right? Ohan, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, Linda Mahan. Oh, yes. you're you played with all of them. So when are you going to do like a super group with them, go on tour and be like that? Well, you know. Because you got Aramis right now, that's killing it. <laughs> we had some people on there um, on the show that came from there. Mm-hmm. We had Brandy Younger come on. We had Terry come on before. Mm-hmm. Great. I just want to see like your trio build and just go. Yeah, you know, I'm probably not going to do an all female trio because of what we were talking about before. That it for me, it's not so much based on. You know, the homogeny of the gender as it is about finding the right people. Um, and so my projects will never, probably never be all women unless it's because I chose those people because of their music. And Can so, I get one like track? I, <laughs> Just one track, okay? <laughs> I mean, I have a duo with Ingrid Labrock. There you go. Duo, <laughs> duo of, of two women, piano and saxophone. Okay, that's fair. I you're true to your cause. I can't <laughs> knock you on that. And yes, people. She played with Esperanza also. So I was just thinking Terry with Esperanza and her. Yeah, Brandy Younger. You have Samara Joy singing, and you got uh, Auntie Connor playing the clarinet or singing also. I thought it would be something great, but I so get you. They're all great musicians, and I'm so glad that I get to play with them in these different scenarios. You know, like. It's just an embarrassment of riches at this point. Like, it is. It it really is. Why do you say that? Because there's just so many good musicians out there. Like, it's 
it's insane. You know, it's very hard to choose sometimes who you want to work with. Cause I have like eight bands I want to put together right now, but you know, that's, could you that's tell me possible. one of the bands? Come on. <laughs> well, in, in June, sorry, in January, I'm going to play at the Vanguard again and I'm going to play a, a trio, a week of trio, um, piano trio with Jonathan Blake and Robert Hurst. Um, so yeah, <laughs> killing band. Yes. Okay. <laughs> So there you go. Embarrassment of riches. It's just, you know, I just went on a tour with Dave Holland for for like four weeks with Jaleel Shaw and um, Nasheed Waits. That was an incredible tour and experience performing with them. And so I just feel grateful I get to make so much great music. Okay, so Impulse says he has a million dollars. Give us your best project. What is it going to (laughs) be? I don't know. Oh, boo. <laughs> okay. Give me something that people misunderstand about the music world. You being a professor, you on the road all the time, you winning the awards. What is something people completely misunderstand? Uh, well, I think sometimes people, because I, I wear a lot of different hats, I teach, I tour, as you said, I, I run a record label, I'm a mom. You know, I've got a lot of things going on. I think they they sometimes think I'm like running myself ragged, but I'm not. <laughs> I used to. I had to do that to get to a certain point um, where things were working. But along the way, I found help with the record label. You know, I've got support systems in place to make everything work um, and continue working. So, um, you know, it is possible to do it all. <laughs> If you have help. If you have help, I would say that. Yes. <laughs> okay. What do you notice about the music scene that you don't like now? Um, in mainstream and in jazz. I feel like, especially since after the pandemic, that the community aspect of the music is suffering. Like when we go to see shows we don't see like other artists. Like I was talking to Nishit Waits about this. He grew up in New York city and he'd go to the Vanguard and, you know, he'd go in and see shows a couple times a week, you know, stop by the second set, sit in the back and you'd see just all these friends and people in the community who love the music. And we were just all mentioning, like, we're not seeing that as much now since the pandemic, which is really sad, you know, cause this music is community based music. So, Okay, so do you think that's because people don't want to be around jazz anymore or people rather watch it from the computer? What do you think that is more of? I think we got used to, well, I think it's a couple things, but I think we got used to being home and going without that feeling of being with other people, um, which was hard, but we're used to it in a way. Um, And so it's become the norm you know, not to go out and be as social as we used to be. I think that's a part of it. And then I think New York was sort of the epicenter of the music for so long. And since the pandemic, a lot of people have left, a lot of musicians have left. Um, and so we don't really feel the scene the same way. Okay. How would you fix that? I don't, I don't know if it's, Fixable. I don't think it's fixable. I was just curious if you had a but I, way to fix I it. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say it's broken. It's just different. 
you know, and so what is the new thing? What's the, like, how do we move forward? I don't think we've found the way to move forward yet. We're all searching. I'm going to be more positive and not answer that one, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, at least recording music. Has that been more difficult since COVID for you or better? No, that's, that's been the same. Oh. go into the studio and yeah okay but during the pandemic it was hard because i i get influenced by other artists playing in their groups and performing and also having a goal having a concert or recording coming up um and that wasn't as, as possible during the pandemic so i feel like i'm just coming back into having those things to work towards and and you know fire the creativity um, which I'm really happy to, to feel that again. Okay. I think that a lot of people got used to remote recording and you could hear it in the music. Well, there is that. Um, but I'm like technologically challenged, so I, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't totally embrace that one. It oh. just kind of stopped. Okay. It was it wasn't fun, you know. I I like that feeling of being in the room together and making something together and sending tracks around was was not the the way forward for me. So okay, but I agree. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm trying not to. I'm being more positive today. We had a past few where I was just like, oh, really, people? But yes. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> so, do you think jazz will progress since this whole thing happened? Yeah, I think it's progressing now. There's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, but is it the same people going to it? Because it's Uh, like what you said. It's like a community, and it's the same. Vanguard has their community. Dizzy's has their community. Birdland has their community. And those people seem to go to those same clubs all the time. So my whole thing is like, did we get more isolated just in a community and nobody else is coming in? Therefore, the music doesn't grow. Well, I, I totally hear what you're saying about that. But I also think the music right now, there's a sort of push to collaborate amongst different artistic communities, well, within music, but also, you know, visual arts and things. So there's a sort of crossover to try to develop new audience um, through these Vis- collaborations. That you got it explain or probably introduce me to. So what do you mean by visual arts? You mean like you're playing jazz while the guy's painting or there's a music well, video or no, maybe sometimes. Um, but like one thing we did last year for our students um, at Berkeley, we partnered with mass art, which is like a, you know, visual arts um, museum and school. And they had an installation there um, by this, this like incredible Valkyrie by this um, Portuguese artist, um, Joanna Vasconcelos. And our students came in and explored the space and the installation. And then they were commissioned to write pieces based on this installation. And so then they put groups together and we performed in the space. And, you know, then it's like the combination of um, audience from the museum and that scene that visual art scene and then the Berkeley community and then the music community. And so people that are interested in different things are now ex- ex- 
experiencing, you know, other communities and things that are that are happening, and we get this kind of blurring um, okay. audience. That's bringing new people in, at least to yeah. the door. So I can't argue that one. That's a better idea than most people give me. So <laughs> I like that. <laughs> okay, so tell me something you hate about the jazz world. Um, I think it's just the the close the close mindedness, like you said, of the for me the mainstream jazz communities, especially. There's these guardrails, as I mentioned, of like what jazz is and isn't. And that's really annoying <laughs> because that's also tied up in patriarchy and racism and all sorts of things that, you know, don't don't help us in any way move forward. So I would like to see those things go by the wayside. And, and then I'm going to go and I have to ask this. So how is the patriarchy hurting jazz? I'm just give me it, it, you got to educate me on this. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to literally just shut up and listen to you because I genuinely do not know. Go. Okay. So, um, so one thing, one like guardrails I'm calling it in jazz is like the, the cutting session, you know, going to a jam session and who can play the loudest and the fastest. You know, that's what the tradition of the music was. I and actually, you, yeah. I'm sorry. Shut up. <laughs> no, that's a thing that does piss me off. I'm sorry. But yes, keep going. <laughs> well, that's kind of rooted in the patriarchy of the music, of the tradition. You know, if you're a woman, you get up and you play and you can't do those things or you don't want to engage in the music in that way. Does that like, does, does that mean you can't play the music or be part of it? You know, that's, that's messed up. <laughs> Okay, but is that really patriarchy, though? Or yeah. just people being a-holes during the jam session? Because a-holes okay. in the jam session is a whole other thing, at least to me. Well, you know... <laughs> no, go! Uh, well, <laughs> the people you, you, at the session are usually men, because that's what the that's what the music was. You look at the Sonny Rollins biography, it's all men making the music, saying, like, you know, you can't play loud enough, high enough, fast enough. Okay. It's the the dominant culture. I said, <laughs> <the fair. music. laughs> I'm not a woman, so I gotta trust you when you tell me that's the experience of it. Okay. <laughs> but no, I, I don't even mean for women. I just mean even for men. You know, you get in a session and you're like, uh, no, I it, don't want to engage in the music this way. I want to play something, you know, whatever. I just want to play ballads. Like, I agree with you on that. You know, and, I want to just play free stuff and <laughs> there's nothing worse than that guy that memorizes one song in every key chooses the key that is uncomfortable for everybody there and wants to play it loud and fast to say look at me everybody <laughs> so I 100% give you that part okay <laughs> fair is there anything else you dislike about the jazz community um I think sometimes Sometimes people undervalue it. Not sometimes. People undervalue people. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, people undervalue it, but musicians also undervalue it. How do the musicians undervalue it? Um, by undervaluing themselves. In terms of what? Because 
I had this before where it's like, if this artist is paying me more money to be on a pop, be a pop artist, I'm going to go where the pop money is. Yeah. But to say like, oh, I'm going to play this jazz gig and, you know, I'm going to play my music and then to not accept what you think it's worth or try to aim for that. You know, that's you're awesome. That's unfortunate. I give you that. Yes. (laughs) Some of them, it's like you have to like my music or I don't care what you think. Yeah, because that's that's what it is. Like once I was in this workshop, well, I, I won this award, this Doris Duke Artist Award, and there were there were seven other artists that won it. There's like Henry Threadgill was there, and um, uh, Milford Graves, and uh, there was a bunch of people. But I specifically remember remember Henry because we had to do this portion of the um, the workshop about like audience development and. And there was someone from NJ Pack there saying, like, well, what are you doing to engage the audience? And Henry, you know, who's a Pulitzer winning composer, I mean, he's like, you know, he just released this awesome book. He's like an amazing human and musician and all that. And he's been in the music for a long time. And he was like, I don't think about that. He's like, I make the music for me and the people that I play with. And then that draws the audience in because they're there to, to be part of that process again. Um, so, yeah, I don't know why I was talking about that. Now I forgot. <laughs> it's okay. It but, but um, yeah. okay, there are two ways of looking at it. One way, which is his way, which I agree. The people who like it are going to show up. And then you see it the other way where it's like you're turning off a lot of people. I think we have to just be clear about what the intention of the music is because, and maybe that's the confusing, confusing thing about jazz is that when we say jazz, there's, there's an audience that wants to hear something that they know and recognize and be entertained. And then there's an audience who wants to be challenged and experience something new. And jazz walks that line because it provides both. It's an innovative music, but there's also a long tradition of it. And we don't clarify sometimes which side of the aisle we're on because jazz is just sort of this ambiguous word at this point. Okay, so you don't think 12-tonal songs or free jazz turns off more people than it stimulates mentally? Um, Sorry, I don't think I understand the question. Okay, so you have free jazz where there's no format. It's like we're going to go in there and we're just going to, you know, the whole thing about free jazz. Now, there's some people who could seriously sit there and be like, wow, they went from this to this progression to this time signature and all that stuff. Do you think the majority of people who like jazz music like that? Well, I don't. To me, that's a non-issue. <laughs> that's, that's a good answer. I actually understand that. Because some people do want to be challenged. So this is, again, it's not mainstream music. So there's music for everybody. You know, we don't have to decide between this or that. It can be both. Okay. Like I said, my whole thing is I want to see the music grow, but I do understand where you're coming from with that answer. Fair. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you're pianist. So you're in demand more than most instruments especially in the jazz world. So 
does that ever affect your colleagues and yourself? Um, not really, because I mean, the the cycle of working with someone sort of has an arc to it, and this music <laughs> you're looking at. Me like, <laughs> I'm not sure what your what that visual response was <laughs> from you. <laughs> Keep going, man. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I think like, it's not like once someone has one band and like, that's the only thing that they do in jazz. That's the beauty of the music. It's like they can have multiple groups, different collaborations. There's an art to working together with someone and developing a rapport with someone. And then you do that with another person and it's not like it ends. It's just cyclical. So I don't know. I don't. I don't know if you're asking if there's like animosity about working with different people. No, 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 no. I didn't mean like that. I just meant like you could go do a pop gig. You could do jingles. You could do all that stuff. But a flautist or a clarinetist is going to have problems in a lot of that stuff. They are pretty much limited to some type of jazz or the classics. Well, everybody's got to work. I don't know. Okay. Fair, 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 fair. So, I'm going to ask this again, and I want you to be honest with me. If you can remove all the barriers, all the constraints, what type of project would you make, and who would be on it? I don't know. You keep coming back to this. Because I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do There's not, Like I said, there's like eight different things I want to do right now. So, it's hard for me to say like this one thing you know, to do because I like variety. Okay. Have you ever turned down any offers? Uh, Yeah, for sure. Are you willing to tell me one of them? You don't need to tell me the artist, just what type of project was it? Um, Well, part of... I ha I've turned down some tours and things just because, you know, as you're going along and as I mentioned, like I'm wearing all these hats um, and especially when my son was younger, it was hard to be out as much as I had been in the past and be involved in so many projects. So I had to limit some projects and, you know, side people, things that I was doing. Um, so yeah, it's, it was unfortunate, but it's just, there's only so much me to go around and, you know, I, I want to prioritize being a mom. Okay. I can't argue that one also. <laughs> <laughs> So, ma'am, since I know we have a time limit today, could you please tell the people where to find your album, where to find you, how to reach you, all that stuff? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, Bandcamp is good. Um, if you want to get the physical CD, the packaging is really cool. Um, I have a label called Pyroclastic Records, and that's the um, the uh, record label that's releasing the album so you can go to the website and find it there or you can go on Bandcamp and just type Chris Davis Diatom Ribbons Live at the Village Vanguard any of those <laughs> phrases and you should hopefully find me in the album there okay and everyone that album comes out in September so please go out there check it out and ma'am anything else you wish to say no it was great to chat with you okay See, people, I could be positive sometimes. But <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, this is Leanna from Improv Exchange. Thank you, and have a good one. Thanks, you too. Bye.
That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange. <laughs>